You're listening to Washington Post Live's weekly conversation series with cultural pioneers and changemakers on race in America. Good afternoon. I'm Aredis Hernandez, national correspondent for The Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live for another program in our Race in America series, in our Race in America series. Joining me today is the newest U.S. Poet Laureate, Ada Limon. Welcome, Ada. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. And a quick note for our audience, we want to hear from you. So please send us your questions for Ada on Twitter using the handle at PostLive. Let's get started. You are the first female U.S. Poet Laureate of Latino and Mexican heritage, and we'll give your inaugural reading at the Library of Congress later this month. Tell me, yes. what does this moment mean for you? Um, it is a really incredible experience. And to be honest, it's um, every day I feel like I have a new emotion <laughs> about it. In fact, just earlier this morning, I was thinking about, um, I sat down at my desk to write and I have all of the pictures of my loved ones, my mother, my grandfather, my friends, uh, my father. And I was thinking about how they're with me and how um, how much work uh, went into their lives and into allowing me to be an artist. And it feels really like an incredible moment that I'm not just experiencing for myself, but I'm experiencing with my ancestors and with my family and with my community. So it feels uh, like a collective experience. And when I think of it that way, I can have that deep breath and actually feel like we're in this together and it's not just me um, on that stage. Well, I'm curious uh, about what you mean by that. If we can go a little bit deeper about what when you say that, you know, it feels like you're honoring your ancestors is something that's come up in multiple interviews that you've done. Uh, how mm -hmm. does your poetry sort of convey, you know, the honoring of your ancestors? Yeah, I think that um, part of my sort of personal philosophy as a human being and as an artist uh, is to say thank you and to remember to say thank you. And uh, I think a big part of when I first started out being a poet, that I really wanted to find my identity and who I was and speak my truth and all of those beautiful things you want to do in your teens and twenties. And um, I think as I have grown older, I've really wanted to appreciate uh, the people in my life that have supported me and, and got me to where I am today. And I think a lot about um, my grandfather, Francisco Carlos Limon, who um, was from uh, Mexico, was born in San Juan de los Lagos. And I think you know of him as a very creative soul, um, he was uh, incredibly spirited and had an incredible voice, um, sang all the time. And yet I don't think he would have allowed himself to be fully an artist um, because I think, you know, he had to take things very seriously. Um, being someone who had crossed the border, feeling that need to uh, be sure that he's providing for his family and not taking the risk of art. and. You know, I think about that not just in his generation, but even in my own family. My mother is a painter and did risk um, being an artist. And yet I watched her 
wait tables, you know, uh, as I was a kid, um, as she was, um, you know, making her art on the weekends. And I just think that is a big part of my life, uh, is, is thinking about what they went through and what they've, um, overcome in many ways, uh, but also the way that they encourage me and their spirits to encourage me. Uh, that's been huge for me and not everyone has always had that. So, uh, I, it's not something I take for granted. Well, now you have a big job in front of you and in, in things that I've read that where you've been granting interviews, you talk about making poetry more accessible. Well, how do you hope to do that as uh, the Poet Laureate and, and how do you how will you make the role your own? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I think one of the things that um, I'm fully aware of is that the people that came before me in this position, the incredible Joy Harjo, um, Tracy K. Smith, Juan Felipe Herrera, um, you know, Natasha Trathaway, not to mention Robert Haas and Billy Collins and um, Rita Dove, of course, and they've done that work, I think, the, the really good, deep groundwork of letting us know that poetry is there. They've done that work. Um, and so what I would love to do is celebrate poetry's power. And so um, I'm hoping that in my tenure, I am able to create some sort of public project that would bring poetry into public spaces and maybe allow us to um, have unexpected experiences with poetry um, so that it can surprise us sometimes, maybe delight us, maybe wound us in the right way. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can really address the usefulness of poetry, that poetry can be a tool to help us heal, to help us grieve, um, and to remember that we're human beings full of feelings and pain and, and, and laughter and joy, and that I think we've been through a lot together and um, in the last uh, few years here, and I feel like, I don't know about you, but I have felt that we've been numb. We've had to go numb to a lot of things because there's been one crisis after the next. And um, and poetry is sort of a place where we can reconnect with our feelings so that we don't go numb. Well, let's talk about feelings as it pertains to your individual specific work. Your latest book, The Hurting Kind, explores the relationship between humans and nature. What intrigued what intrigues you about nature, first of all, and how does it parallel with the human experience? Yeah, you know, even as a child, I've always been very connected to nature. Um, it's where I've uh, found most of my safe havens or in natural spots. I grew up in Sonoma, California. Um, my There was a creek across the street from my house, the Calabasas Creek, that uh, I would always go to and, and sit and, and watch the tadpoles and the little minnows. And it felt like a place of peace and it felt like a secret place too and sacred. And so, uh, you know, for me, that's always been a connection that I've had. Uh, but I will say that this latest book, The Hurting Kind that came out in May, really connects again to that idea of the interconnectedness that we have. And I think so often we feel like we are not nature. <laughs> which is fascinating, right? We don't think of ourselves as animals, and yet we are. And so I think that um, this book is sort of celebrating that connection. Um, it's also, I think, recognizing 
that there will always be a mystery and wonder and awe um, that we have for the natural world. And that in and of itself can allow us to maybe take a breath and feel like there's something bigger at work, something larger at work, that here I am just a, a poet on this planet in this moment. And it can get you out of your head a little bit. And nature has always done that for me. And I think this book is a way of giving back, not just to the people in my life that I wanted to thank, but to the plants and animals and trees that I wanted to thank too. So the title, it, it you know, I'm still thinking about that, The Hurting Kind. What do you mean by that? And, and, and what does it mean to be the hurting kind? Thank you for that question. Um, you know, I had a, I had a trouble coming up with this title, to be honest. Um, I initially thought The Hurting Kind might be a, a good title for it, but I was a little scared that it might be off-putting because <laughs> it has the word hurt in there. Uh, but at the same time, the poem that um, the titular poem that this title comes from is really about what it is to be someone who is sensitive to the world, to tender to the world, someone um, who allows themselves to be pierced by emotions, by grief, by joy. Um, and so I have sort of come to, in my life right now, recognize that so much of our conversations are about resilience and bravery and courage and strength and power. And all of those things are wonderful and they're words I love. <laughs> but, um, but I think there's also a time where we need to remember also to be tender, to be soft. Uh, to receive the world and to allow ourselves to recognize um, all the emotions that we're going through and not just steel ourselves against the wind of the world. And um, so I think the hurting kind, the title itself is really about honoring and um, speaking to those of us that allow ourselves to be hurt by the world and allow ourselves to be tender to it and celebrating that emotionality. On the flip side of the hurting kind, you, you talk that in your role as U.S. Poet Laureate, that you want to show how poetry can be useful, how it can be a tool. Mm -hmm. In what ways do you think poetry today, right now, for those who you know are of the hurting kind, can be useful? Yeah, yeah um, I think there is a lot of different ways. Um, but one of the things that uh, I am very proud of and is something I work on that was a project actually by Tracy K. Smith, which is The Slowdown, which is um, a podcast where you can listen to a poem every single day. Um, and just being able to allow yourself five minutes to spend time with poetry in that way, um, having it read to you, being able to listen to it is beautiful. Um, I think that even just a moment of reading one poem, that's the great thing about poetry. You don't have to read a whole book of poems to have an experience with poetry. You can read one poem and you can find it on Twitter and Instagram even, or you can find it in your library, however you want to engage with the work. But reading one poem allows you a little bit of breath, a little space. Uh, you know, Lorca has that wonderful quote, um, poetry is like faith. Uh, it isn't meant to be understood, but to be received in a state of grace. And I think that's how I think of it, is that it's just that one little moment you can spend with one page, you know, or maybe even a line that affects you and moves you. And um, so I, 
I would recommend reading one poem a day personally. Switching gears a little bit, at the top of this conversation, I identified you as the first uh, Latina and Mexican uh, poet laureate of Mexican and Latina heritage. But you've said before that labels based on race can really just compartmentalize and, in your words, harm us. Can you talk to me about what is assumed and expected of you as a Latina poet? Yeah. You know, and I think we all have our own individual experiences uh, with our identity and with people around us that want to identify us in certain ways and what those what that means. Um, and I always come back to that quote by Audre Lorde, is that, if, you know, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. <laughs> and um, I always think about that eaten alive, right? And so uh, for me, I'm very proud of my Mexican heritage. And I'm very proud of being Latina. Um, but I also feel like it's very important for all writers to recognize that we should be able to embrace whatever subjects we want. And we should be able to talk about whatever we want. And one of the things I have realized over my 20 years of of writing poetry is that I do think that writers of color oftentimes get asked to um, address trauma and address injustices in ways that um, uh, white poets do not get asked to do. And so I think it's really important that as Latinx writers, that we remember that we have the full range of imagination and that no one is allowed to cut us off and tell us, oh, because you're from El Salvador, you must write about this experience or I must. Th the only way that I will celebrate you is because you write about this trauma. You know, I want all of the poets to recognize that we can also write about joy and we can also write about heartbreak um, and that it's not just one experience, but that we are all of us individuals and having our own experiences and our own musicality. And I think that's incredibly, um, I think that's taken for granted sometimes. And that can come from outside of our communities. People will will want, and sometimes very good heartedly, want to, um, you know, ha celebrate inclusion and diversity. But sometimes in doing so, we'll also say, oh, we want you to speak about this. And I think that um, as writers of color, sometimes we have to be a little all elbows and say, hey, well, I want to I want to write about a tree. And um, I especially see that as young people coming up that I want to make sure they can they can write about trauma if they want and they can write about a tree if they want. You mentioned uh, your your grandfather and your mother, first your grandfather not allowing himself to give space to become an artist, your mom doing her art on the weekends, but you didn't start out as a poet either. You, you used to work in marketing. Uh, why did you change career paths and what did you learn from making that pivot? Yeah, yeah. I think it's always important to talk about how we make a living as artists. Um, so I actually was a poet that whole time. It wasn't one or the other. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to make a living as a writer, as any kind of artist, and all artists and writers out there uh, listening will know that. And for me, um, most of, a lot of my friends um, beautifully went into teaching. Um, I was someone that uh, after I graduated with my Master of Fine Arts from NYU in poetry, didn't feel like I was ready to teach. I didn't feel like I had anything to offer. Um, 
And uh, and so I, I went into working for magazines. I worked for GQ. I was the copy director there. Um, I worked for, I was the creative services director for Travel and Leisure Magazine. Um, and uh, they were wonderful jobs. But while I was doing that, I, I put three books out uh, into the world. Uh, my first book, Lucky Wreck. Um, my second book, This Big Fake World and Sharks in the Rivers. Um, and when Sharks in the Rivers came out in 2010, I decided that I was going to try my hand at, a, at becoming a full-time writer, um, whatever that means, <laughs> whatever that looks like. Um, but I decided to quit um, my jobs in um, magazine marketing. Yeah. How does writing poetry allow you to be yourself, your full self? Mm. I was thinking about that um, a lot in the last week, actually, because I was feeling off kilter myself. Um, as you might know, you know, you get called to this wonderful position. It's not something you apply for. It's not something you know is coming. Um, so there's no, it wasn't what I expected for the next, you know, year. And so uh, there's been a lot of readjustment and, and, and beautiful readjustment and reimagining my time and, uh, and what it will look like and how I want to be of service. But I was feeling off kilter and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. <laughs> and you know what I did? I, I literally sat down and I have I, I have this journal that I keep with me all the time. It's unlined. And um, and I wrote um, a, a couple sort of drafts of poems, just little seeds of poems. And immediately I felt better because the poems were were telling me what I was experiencing. You know, they were allowing me to sort of explore what I was going through in my body and my blood and my heart. And uh, I look back on it and go, oh, yes, this is what this is. And I immediately could breathe again. And I felt like, all oh, right, I'm I'm at home in my body and um, I'm, I'm back in my I'm back in my heart. And, and I think poetry can do that. You know, and I think oftentimes there are wonderful artists um, who I admire who um, want to be sure that we caretake uh, poetry as an art form and as a craft and as a serious craft. And I believe that too, but um, it doesn't mean that we can't talk about it as healing because I think it, it heals us every day. Um, those of us that write it and most of, most of us that write it do it so that we can, that we can um, stay alive <laughs> and feel good and, and live in the world. And, uh, and I think that anytime someone wants to write a line or write a poem. It doesn't mean you have to publish it. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean you have to send it to the New Yorker. Um, but it might do something for you. It might open a door. It might be able to let you tap in to how you're actually feeling. And there's something about adding imagination and activating the imagination. You know, the poems aren't always about ideas or feelings. A lot of times they're just about attention. They're about looking deeply at an object, looking deeply at uh, the tree in front of you or, or, you know, whatever's happening. And I think that even just description, being present, looking at something and deeply looking at it is a way of loving the world again. Um, so it's not always just about writing, but it's about writing yourself back into the world. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, for me, it isn't poetry. It's just journaling. And, and the way I describe it to my friends, it's like, it's like your soul is just exhaling. Like whatever was 
whatever you hold in your breath and inside your heart, it's just an opportunity for you to exhale. Um, one of the things you said about poetry is that poetry is just telling somebody something. What did you mean by that? Yeah. And sometimes it's just telling yourself something. <laughs> um, I think I, all I mean is that I think, um, as artists and and as writers, I think we can sometimes feel like the pressure or the poem that it has to be um, divine, you know, that it has to be sort of otherworldly and in some sort of um, different earthly vibration, you know, when in reality, a lot of times poems can just be connecting. They can be, you know, slipping the note under someone's door. And uh, I think oftentimes when we start to write a poem and maybe the audience is just ourselves and we just need to write it to ourselves or sometimes it's for a particular person. A lot of the poems in The Hurting Kind, you know, I sat down and wanted to say, oh, you know, I miss my father. I'm going to write a poem about my father, you know, and and then I'm going to send it to him. And it's a real act of like this is an actual connection that I'm doing something, creating a gift, making a crafted piece. And then sending to him to really connect. And I think sometimes we have these expectations that the poem has to do so much more than that. Um, And I think it's important to remember that it can just connect to to one person. You write about personal topics like infertility, chronic pain from scoliosis and aging. What is your writing process like? Yeah, um, I, you know, it's funny. I. I write almost every day, but I keep saying that I don't write poems every day. But uh, like you, I do a lot of journaling um, and I keep my notebook close. And then what happens is that I will have moments where um, I'm sure just like you, where the day is very packed and very full. And then moments where I have an hour or I have two hours and I'm I'm so excited and I think, oh, okay. And I will open that journal that has those seeds or notes or lines or images. And from there, I'll start to unravel a poem. And uh, so I write, um, I write off, I mean, I I write daily, but I wouldn't ever say that I write a poem a day. Um, I used to think that I needed to write a poem a day to to call myself a poet, but I don't do that. So I think that um, I probably write a few poems every month, Um, maybe a little more than that. But yeah, um, I write write a lot um, because to me, it it helps me uh, stay grounded. One of the things I, I, writing styles that I love is rhythm and your poems have been described as melodic. Is that intentional? Yes. Uh, thank you for saying that. I, um, for me, rhythm is incredibly important. Um, music has been a big part of my life. Um, in fact, I was in a band once and in, in, <laughs> in Brooklyn, it was wonderful. I was uh, the singer and the songwriter and, um, but I feel like one of the things that uh, I have always loved is the music on the page. And some of my favorite poems have that kind of idiosyncratic rhythm that is, is only exists it only exists in that poem. And there's so much beauty to that, to create that music on the page. Um, I compose most of my poems out loud. Um, that means that I, I mean, I am writing them, but I also am, I'm saying them out loud. Uh, almost line by line, because I need to hear the music. Um, And it's not just about how the poem uh, is working or what it's saying, but how it's uh, how the line breaks are instructing 
the music of the poem and how the silence, the space, uh, the sejuras and the stanza breaks and the white space around the page itself, all of that is breathwork. Um, so yeah, music is incredibly important to me um, in not just how I compose my poems, but how I receive other people's poems. Um, and it makes for me the poem just all that more alive and vibrant. And I imagine that also applies when you read them, uh, when you read your your poems out loud. As a former theater major, am I correct on that? Uh, yes, undergraduate you... theater, yes. <laughs> how do you incorporate that into the way that you read your poetry? Yeah, um, you know, I hope that I do service to the music of the page and the music that I've created on the page. Um, and I do believe that I would like to give someone who's listening, uh, maybe for the first time or or maybe, you know, hearing a poem they like out loud. Uh, I would love to bring that poem to life. So I try to give it my all and try to perform in a way that um, stays true to the integrity of the poem. Uh, and, you know, I and I, I will I will lean into the music, I think, when I read uh, the one thing I try not to do is. Uh, Get so get so into the performance that I sort of forget the moment because a big part of me when I when I read is to be super present and so that there is an exchange of energy between the audience and me on stage that it's not just me with a set list performing but instead that there's some there's a back and forth there was a reciprocal relationship between the audience and me so um that's a big part of uh, what I do when I read on stage. But I will say the uh, the undergraduate theater degree was a big help uh, in reading poems. Um, one is because we think about breath a lot. We think about the body a lot in theater. Um, but also that you really pay attention to what it is to um, offer some something, you know, to someone while you're on stage and to consider the audience. and. I sometimes think as poets, you know, we spend a lot of time alone in our rooms writing. It's true. And and uh, and, you know, then we get uh, get to hang out with each other and be in community with each other. And suddenly we come to life. And I think sometimes we have to remember to you know bring that life to the stage, too, because oftentimes, you know, we forget we're 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 in the the small craft of making that small thing. And then suddenly we have to go. And that goes out to the audience, right? So, yeah, it's sort of the, the two worlds, the the self that writes the poem and the self that performs the poem are, um, they're not necessarily divided, uh, but they can be at odds sometimes because one of them really needs to protect the artist and be quiet and small and, and inward. And the other person needs to project and be outward and be, and protect themselves a little bit too, in a different way. Well, so we're quickly running out of time, but I wanted to get to your podcast, The Slowdown. Uh, it was previously uh, hosted by the U.S. Poets Laureate, Tracy K. Smith. Yeah. What do you discuss on the show and, and how did you get into podcasting? Yeah, it's, it was a real gift. Um, they contacted me and asked me if I was interested in applying for the uh, host uh, job. And I said yes. And it was it's been it, it's been an incredible year of doing it. I have just I love working with the two producers, um, Micah Kielbon and Jennifer Lai before Micah, um, and they're incredible people. And 
what we do is we just there's uh, we choose one poem a day and it's it's by um uh, there's so many different artists that we bring on so many different poets from all over the world. And so that's been a beautiful gift. And then there's just a small little introduction. Um, I think of it as a providing a little, a little, uh, a little space for the poem to, um, to, to be received in. So uh, I just tell you a little something um, that may have to do with the poem. And then I read the poem and it's only five minutes and it's a, uh, to me, I think it's a really special experience. I listened to almost every single episodes of Tracy when she did it. Um, and and stepping into her shoes has been a wonderful way to spend the last year. I'm going to try to squeeze in one more question before our time runs out. And and that's it. What do you want people to take away from from your poetry? You know, we're, we're on this, you know, the hurt and kind and this being a moment when we need poetry. What do you want people to take away from it? Yeah, I think a big thing for me would be just permission to feel. Um, I think we um, we're in a real danger when we don't have access to our emotions, when we don't know how to name them and we don't know how to speak how we're feeling. And I think that can really hurt us as 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 humanity. And I really um, that worries me. So permission to feel um, and permission to be in wonder and permission to appreciate joy. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Ada Limon, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's Race in America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.